You're listening to The Served Up Show, a podcast that features inspiring beverage professionals and topic experts that share their passions through meaningful content. Your hostesses, Bridget Albert, is best known as the Market Fresh Mixologist, an industry mentor with over 25 years of experience. And I'm Julie Milroy, best known for my passion for leading change and helping others grow in their careers. Grab a cocktail and sit back. Let's learn how we can make a positive impact in our industry. Hey everyone, Bridget here. I sat down with Amanda Gunderson recently and she shared her journey and what it took to create the powerful and meaningful hospitality worker charity, Another Round, Another Rally. She tells us how she got started in the industry, her valuable lessons learned, and how to apply for support through another round, another rally, and her passion for all that work in our industry. Her life's work is truly dedicated to the beverage community. So sit back, grab your favorite Maker's Mark cocktail, and get ready to be inspired. Amanda, welcome to Served Up. I'm so excited to have you on the show today. I am super excited to be here. It's so good to see you, Bridget. It's wonderful to see you. Could you tell our listeners um, about your background? You know, what really brought you into the hospitality industry? Um, sure. I, um, well, I have a, a fine arts degree, so <laughs> I do what a lot of people with fine arts degree do and became a, a bartender after college and all throughout college, I actually started working in the hospitality industry to help get me through college, uh, as a cocktail waitress as a little, a little sports bar in the summertime when I would go home to Reno. And that's really where I learned how to bartend. And so I leaned into those skills pretty heavily after college and, Uh, That was right around the time that the cocktail boom was really starting to take off. And I just found myself in the right place at the right time for a lot of that. I was just really lucky. I had some really great mentors and got a chance to work in some really wonderful, beautiful places. Um, I ran into right around 2010, my path crossed with Julian Cox. And that's where I went from being very proud of my wonderful lemon drop skills to being proud of actually really understanding fully, um, deeply the history and the meaning of, you know, 150 different classic cocktails and, you know, all of the distillation processes of all of the distillates. I mean, he puts you through really quite a boot camp. Um, and that a couple of years later, we we were actually nominated for best restaurant bar of the year, and we made it into the top four at Tales of the Cocktail with that team. So, um, you know, I just got really lucky with him. Julian knows this. I mean, I had been bartending for a long time before I met him, but um, I, every time I'm around him and I just get a little bit too tipsy, I'm always like, you changed my life because he just gave me some skills that um, allowed me to not worry so much about job security um, because I just had what I needed, you know, to be able to to have a, a nice career. So um, so I really do owe a lot to him. But then I had some other great mentors and some people cross my path. I was working at the bazaar when um, this couple of beer dudes came in and they were wanting to start, um, you know, they had basically seen the rise of craft beers, even though 
regular beer sales were dropping, craft beer sales were on the rise, and they thought the same thing was going to happen in spirits. And so they wanted to take a stab at that. And so I left from being behind the bar and came to the supply side with this little small startup company in about 2013 called Congenial Spirits. And we just... Uh, you know, we had all these beautiful little small batch craft distilleries, but I think we really got some street cred because we had um, uh, tequila tapatio as our kind of the center of our portfolio. And so we were, you know, people saw us as being legit because we were the first ones to be able to really bring that into the country and uh, to bring it into market. And um, it was just a lot of fun. And from there, I worked for Pernod Ricard for a little while uh, on Altos Tequila. And then I went from Pernod over to Beam Suntory, uh, where I've been working back in the whiskey side of things for the last couple of years. But also about three years ago, I uh, was talking to a good friend of mine, uh, this fellow named Travis Nass, who's just a lovely, wonderful human human being. Um, and he was, you know, consulting a little bit and bartending here and there, but he was like, I, you know, doing some part-time brand work and stuff, but he was feeling a little stuck in his career. And I said, you know, I've, I've had this idea for a while. Like, I feel like there's a hole in the industry. There's a, a thing that's needed. Um, especially because when I worked at the bazaar, I actually worked at a hotel. So it was the first time that I had a restaurant job that came with benefits because I actually technically was a, an employee of the hotel. So I said to him, you know, I, most people don't have insurance. Um, there's all sorts of emergencies that pop up. And then I also feel like there's a lot of room for growth. You know, at that point, I didn't necessarily have this exact statistic, but, uh, you know, the statistics are that uh, for every $10 a white man makes in the hospitality industry, a black woman will make four. So roughly 40%, you know, but I did, I didn't have all of those numbers there, but I did know that there was definitely room for growth, for leadership opportunities, for women, for people of color. Um, Travis really loved that idea. He felt like we could also be effective for people who were in the LGBTQ communities uh, with a specific focus on the T part of that. There's a lot of, um, you know, again, like I said, when I had those skills from, from Julian and I was like, oh my God, you've changed my life. I feel like there's so many transgender people who um, don't have a lot of opportunities for various jobs. And it's a great way once you gave, gain these skills to feels like you, you've got some security in your life, you know? So, um, so we were kind of focusing there. And so the idea was that we would put together this project and it would be two buckets of money. One would be emergency funding. And we thought it would be primarily for, you get an un unexpected cancer diagnosis, you got into a car accident, you know, um, there's a baby coming and you need help with that. You know, there's any number of things that could have fallen into that. And then the other bucket is professional development grants. And we were about to launch that last year, right around this time, uh, March 23rd last year, we were going to have our first party at Bartenders Weekend, um, just to introduce ourselves to the world and have it be our first fundraiser. And it was going to be a party called Deuces, which is a synchronized bartending competition. <laughs> Real fun. We had a drag queen coming down to host it. And you know, I think maybe about 5% of the total score was about the actual quality of the cocktail. The rest of it was really about synchronicity and fun and uh, choreography and just all of the different things. Um, and it was just meant to be a way for us to introduce ourselves to people and, and start our fundraising journey. Uh, but right around this time, I think it was actually the 12th of March today, as we're recording on the 11th. So it would have been one year ago that we had everybody decided that bartenders weekend was going to have to not happen. And then just a few days later, we were writing letters to everybody we could in the industry to try and gain some funding for 
uh, COVID relief funding. And so right now we're uh, coming up on uh, about three and a half million dollars that we've raised and almost all of that we've been able to give away so far. Wow. Um, I do want to take it back just a little bit on kind of from the beginning of the conversation, just to understand um, where you come from. Where did you go to college? I went to CalArts. Um, I was, I grew up in Reno and I did um, a couple of years at the University of Nevada, Reno when I was there. And um, this is just like a random side, side note about me, but I, um, when I was going to college, I competed in the Miss America pageant. Uh, I was actually, it was Miss Reno and then I was Miss Nevada and I got like $22,000 or $26,000, some, something like that, um, which at the time, I mean, we're talking like the late nineties, right? So it was like mm-hmm. a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. You know, So I felt like I had some options open, but um, and I knew that I really wanted to go to art school. And so um, I really kind of used that as my ticket out. Now I kind of look back and I'm like, man, maybe I should have gotten a bachelor's degree at UNR and then just use that money for a master's degree. But you couldn't tell 19 year old Amanda that. <laughs> <laughs> so I just took that money. I was like, I'm getting out of Dodge. Thank you. And um, I went to CalArts and it was a, a really a wonderful experience. But I moved to L.A. for that uh, in 98. So I've been here for almost 23 years now. Wow. that's all, you, you know what? Um, I, I do have a lot of friends that live in the California area, but I think you're my only friend that's lived in LA for that long of time. <laughs> it's typically um, a little transient, right? Where people yeah. are moving in and out. So that's so cool. Yeah. I've officially lived here longer than anywhere else, including Reno, which is where I grew up, but uh, I lived there for about 18 years and then, you know, came here, but, um, so I, I love it. I mean, I feel like LA is my city. I've, I've sort of lived and worked all over the city. And, uh, one statistic that I really love to share about LA that I think makes it the most special city in the world is that there are more people, uh, more artistic, creative folks living and working in LA than there are in any other city at any other time in the history of the world. It is just a wonderful place to be and to be surrounded by creativity. Yeah. And especially for what you are doing with another round, another rally, you know, I do want to commend you for all the good work that you do for the hospitality industry. And I know it comes from such a genuine, pure place just to help others. Right. Yeah. And so can we talk a little bit more about that? You know, how did you come up with the name of the organization? Is it a national organization? So many questions, Amanda, yeah. for our, li- for our <laughs> listeners who maybe not, maybe this is the first time they're hearing about another round or another rally. So yeah, no problem. So it is a national organization and it's something, you know, I like Travis and I started talking about it in, I remember it was the month of May. And I was thinking, you know, this might be um, something that we could get up and running and maybe we could have Travis working at full time by the end of the summer. And we always had said, if we're going to be able to go and work there full time, that Travis would go first because it's just, you know, it's things of the way America works. So, you know, he was getting his health insurance from his wife and I'm actually supplying the health insurance for my husband. And so that was the primary reason, but also Travis is the operations officer and he really it is in in charge of all of the operations. So he's he's very good. He's very organized. And so it made a lot of sense for him to go first. But we were like, you know, maybe by the end of the summer, you could be working there full time. And I just didn't realize that you don't put together a nonprofit in four months. 
<laughs> and, and, you know, have a full-time employee and all of that, that it's actually quite a bit of work. I mean, the, the paperwork for it alone is just really a bear. So, um, you know, and we were trying to come up with a name for ourselves and we were trying to come up with all these like acronyms that everybody knows from the hospitality industry or, you know, something about a punch bowl being overflowing or, you know, just all of these like ideas that we had. And Travis's wife, Cheyenne, actually works for um, a PR company in Phoenix that really focuses on primarily restaurants, hotels, bars, that kind of stuff. They do have some bigger clients. They have like the city of Tempe and they had Phoenix Sky Harbor Airport for a while and stuff like that. But they you know, primarily it's restaurants, bars, and hotels. And she said to us, you know, you guys are getting um, a little bit ahead of yourselves in terms of the naming. You're focusing on the, the wrong thing. That's the unimportant thing. You need to put the structure of your company together. You need to decide what, it's gonna, what you're going to do. You need to get yourselves a mission statement together. All of these other things are far more important than what you're going to call yourselves. And then you should just let a professional do that, um, you know, and hand it over to somebody else who's, who's in, the, in the business of branding. And Travis had done just enough, um, you know, kind of pro bono favor work for her boss at that point, like enough showing up and being the bartender at enough events and putting together all of the cocktail menus and all of that kind of stuff that when he approached Ty, her boss had said, hey, would you take us on as a pro bono client? Ty was like, yes, actually, I'm right in the perfect timing to be picking up a pro bono client. And so we went with them and they it was just such an interesting naming process. They gave us five names to choose from and they had us looking at them on a screen, all black and white, no real frill around them or anything. And before they would show us the name, they would give us the understanding of where, where it came from, what they decided that this name would be. And we just narrowed it down. And as soon as we both agreed, they didn't let us talk too much longer than that. As soon as we were both like, mm, maybe not this one, they were like, okay, that one's gone. And so we came down to another round, another rally for a number of reasons, but it, mostly because it was the most celebratory um, and the most positive option that they had given us. Um, and I really love it now because I keep, I keep hearing so many things in the last year about rallying and another rally and let's rally together and let's do this thing. And uh, I think we're rallying towards being able to sit together for another round at some point. So, um, you know, I, I love, I love what, what it means now. Yeah. I think it's, um, it's just perfect. Right. Especially for the time that we live in and, you know, another round, another rally could not have come soon enough with COVID hitting our industry in such a way. And we talk so much on served up about the damage that COVID has done to our industry and really the unfairness of support that's given to our industry as well, because our industry is not united like the airlines or the banking industry, or the healthcare industry. We definitely are, as much as we are a big community, however, we work in, in, in silos. So it's very, very different. And so I just like, like to get your thoughts on, um, you know, some, we'll hear about some of the support that, that another round, another rally has given um, to the community through COVID. And then what do you think our industry will look and feel like um, when we come out of this? Do you, which one of those do you want to chat about first? Cause I feel like they're both kind of long answers. That's fine. Whatever, whatever you want to go for. <laughs> well, let's start, I guess, with the latter and then we could work our way back to the former, but um, because the latter is something that we've been talking about a lot. You know, we, when COVID first hit that first couple of months, I would say were like a real triage state 
for us. It was really like all hands on deck. And, uh, you know, it, it just felt like we just could come up for air and then go back down and come up for air and go back down. It was just, it was so much work in that, in that portion. And somewhere around the summertime, we were able to kind of stabilize a little bit and understand like, you know, get the funding to be operating in a way that was a little bit more electronic and easier to handle. So it's given us a plenty of time in the last year to say, okay, since we are not just emergency funding, but also professional development, how do we pivot now back into the professional development thing? And I think, you know, the best way I could describe it to somebody from the outside of our industry is it's almost like the universe came and picked up our whole industry and put us in timeout for a minute and was like, all right, you think about what you've been doing, <laughs> you know, because <laughs> we've all had a chance now to really get through it, get through our own emotions. Um, you know, I had a, I was emotionally having a very hard time in the beginning of COVID because we were putting together a lot of grocery work there. And it was really hard for me to see and imagine and think about uh, bartenders and, and hospitality workers all over the place, basically standing in like a bread line. You know, it was it was really tough. And I, I think once we get past that and we've all sort of figured out, okay, this is how I can at least make ends meet. And so we've kind of gotten through a year of that. So now it's like, okay, well, this is sort of actually a golden opportunity for us as a community to, for lack of better terms, build, build back better. You know, we have a, we have an opportunity ahead of us to, um, to really come back in a, in a different space. And I think everything that happened after George Floyd died also was extremely has been and will be continuing to be, you know, something very painful for a lot of people to, to deal with. But I think it also put us in a space where now it's like, okay, we're aware that when we come back, it has to be more equitable. Uh, we have to build, we can't have this four to $10 discrepancy between black women and white men in our industry anymore. We can't uh, have a space that's unsafe for transgender folks to work in. We can't um, have such a, a harsh language barrier between the kitchen and the management and, and have that language barrier be something that in a lot of times will stop people from getting promoted. I mean, I, I worked in a bar once where we had a very talented bartender who was Thai and spoke with a very heavy Thai accent and another wonderful bar back uh, who was Mexican and spoke with a very heavy Mexican accent. And I really feel like the truth is that the management was reluctant to promote them both into being like front of house bartender because uh, they were worried about the communications and that those kinds of things just can't be the way that we operate anymore. Um, I think we also are becoming more aware of how um, sort of abusive that type of world can be for women um, or for people who um, are just a little bit more underrepresented. So I think everybody is sort of wanting to come back in a way that is like, it's just a better version of us than we were before. I'm starting to see a lot of conversations around tipping um, and whether or not tipping should even exist anymore. Um, I've got a few different ones that I've been like kind of really uh, trying to wrap my head around. I've got a girlfriend right now who has a restaurant in Los Angeles that where she's trying to shift the tipping to be from in her, her pulled house to be from going by title, which is what it used to go by before. So, you know, uh, prep cook, line cook, whatever, bartender versus barback, busser versus, you know, server, that kind of a thing to instead being sort of like 
a five point system where the more things in the restaurant you learn, the higher point percentage you will get in your tip out. So if you're a bartender and you learn how to do hostessing or hosting and you are working on a hosting shift or a bartending shift, doesn't matter because your, your, your tip out is at the same high rate because you're in that numbered system. Um, so it's a way of allowing people to just make more money for themselves, educate themselves at work, take the restaurant as though they own it themselves or the bar and, and really behave that way at work. I think it's a really smart way of doing tipping. We'll see if, how successful it is, but then there's a lot of conversation too around just getting rid of tipping altogether. Or I've got a friend in London who has a, a restaurant called FAM, F-A-M like family, uh, where they already have a no tipping system in their society, but that restaurant also goes a little bit further and offers profit sharing for the employees there. So I'm kind of looking at it in that way of like, here's here are three ways that we could move forward. Um, one could be a different tier of, of a pulled house. One could be no tipping and one could be tipping, no tipping plus profit sharing. So we'll see. I mean, there's a lot of different things that that need to happen, but that's in terms of where the rubber meets the road, where the pay is. I think there's a lot of interesting conversation happening right now. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. We talk a lot. I mean, I've been reading, I think probably a lot of the same things perhaps you have around tipping because it, we have found that, you know, tipping is not done in a way that's equal, fair. There's just so much, just, we could talk for two hours, I think, just on, just on tipping. Yeah. Tipping. <laughs> yeah, agreed. You know, agree, agreed. But, but I do feel like, um, just like you said, our industry was put in a timeout and there is a potential and an opportunity for growth and for change. And I do hope that real growth and real sustainable change happens. I don't believe that it has happened yet. Agreed. And I don't believe that'll happen overnight or even in my lifetime. I'm not too sure because there's so many aspects of it that are not okay that we right. just put up with or that we've dealt with. And the culture, the one that I want to talk to you about, because do you think you just mentioned like about the chef, you know, or about the owner, maybe um, not being so kind. I know that because we are living in an age, thank God, where we're more aware, you know, and maybe a little more unafraid to speak up, but many are still afraid to speak up when they're in those toxic environments. And unfortunately, our industry seems to just seems to incubate that, I guess, you mm -hmm. know, not every place, but too many <laughs> do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember even just a few years ago, I mean, this is, this is a lighthearted look at it, but um, I remember a few years ago, well, it would have been maybe a decade ago. I was starting a job and one of the new guys that I was working with said something like, oh, it's my favorite thing about working behind the bars, all the inappropriate touching, you know, and it was like my first or second day. And he was like, push it, putting his hands on my hips and moving me out of the way. And I was like, <laughs> you know, and like, just didn't quite know how to, how to handle that. And that's like, not, not in, even near the examples of what I could give, or you could give, or a number of people listening to the show could give. And I think too, one of the things that I've learned a lot from the last year of working at another round, another rally is it is jaw dropping what happened to our industry. And I think a lot of times people consider their industry to be their immediate surroundings, their immediate friends, their immediate USBG members, or their immediate winners of spirited awards or whatever it might be. But 
one of the things that I've learned in the last year is that there really are 15 million people in our industry. You know, we started when we first opened the application for relief last year, we, I think we could help like a couple thousand people. We settled on $500 as our, um, as our funding. We got uh, just over a million, like one point, almost 1.2 million, like right, right away from the beginning. And we said, we're going to do $500 and that's, we're going to settle on that number and we're going to stick to our guns on it. It's not enough to necessarily pay your rent, but it is going to be enough to keep your cell phone connected, keep your internet connected, uh, maybe put a little food in your belly, put some diapers on your baby. You know, it'll be enough to help you get by in a month. And we had a number of people come to us and say like, hey, we want to we want to focus our money on, you know, undocumented workers from this particular, you know, tequila, but we only have $5,000 that we could give you. You know, could we spread this out into $100, you know, or $250 instead of 500 to touch more people? And we would just say, no, you know, we can touch as many people as you want. We'll just make the the grant whole from other monies that we have, but we're not going to ever give anyone less than $500 because you really run into um, the possibility of making somebody feel like they're a second-class citizen. You know, if everybody else is getting $500, but you're in an LGBTQ fund where you're only getting 250 you know, it doesn't, it didn't make any sense. So we, we just, we would try and honor what people would request, but then we just make it whole so that it was always $500 going out. And we also were really trying to focus in on getting some of the undocumented workers amongst us. So we said from the beginning, let's try and give half of this to undocumented workers, which sounds a little like easier than it definitely was. I mean, it was a lot easier for us to give half of the money to documented workers because undocumented workers don't really like to be found. And we realized don't necessarily trust new organizations that are out there. A lot of people thought that we were uh, maybe a scam from ICE. And so we had a lot of work to do to build their trust, to get to build out a whole Spanish language side of our volunteer base to help vet those uh, applications and make sure that, you know, they were going, the money was getting into the right hands. And so, you know, it was a lot of work. Uh, but that being said, you know, I'd, I'd have to do the math right now on it, but it's a fair amount. You know, it's, some, it's several thousand people that we were able to touch with that amount of money. But by the end of the first week, we had well over 70,000 applications. And by the second week, we were getting an application per second. So it's sometimes I think people forget that, like, you know who else is in your industry? Every single person who works at Dave and Buster's. Every single hotel employee that's out there, every single cleaning lady, you know, every everybody who works at all of the Disneyland resorts. And, you know, it's um, you know, let me think of one more because I know we don't want to say just one, but, you know, it's it's every person who works at Applebee's or, Absolutely. you know, all of that. It's 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 all of the people that are not necessarily going to be vying for awards or be highlighted in magazines or be or even aware that there is such a thing as a USBG. Um, you know, if there's, if there really are 15 million people in our industry. So I agree with you. I think, I do think that the culture maybe in our lifetime, we might change the tip of the iceberg, Yeah, you know, but we are, we have been given a, a moment here to, to do our best and to at least try. Yeah, no, I agree with you just 110%. And I applaud you for all the, the money that you were able to raise and to distribute, especially to, to those that are undocumented. Because during this time, really the support that they have is none. Right, zero. zero. And, and even for the support that they would have, people are afraid to ask. I mean, 
Mm-hmm. I've got a, I've got a girlfriend who was just telling me that she has had an undocumented worker before who has become documented, who still will not reach out for help and won't raise his hand to see if he's, you know, available for any sort of relief fund or anything like that, because he just is so, it's so ingrained in him mm-hmm. that he does not want to be on the radar of the government. Um, and so it's tough because the reality is, is that they're with us. They're the, the, the cog that makes the whole wheel run, you mm-hmm. know? Um, and so, you know, we have to, we have to take care of each other. And what we were trying to do was really grab up the most vulnerable people. Um, mm-hmm. We developed a 10 tier system on um, how we were going to move the most critical of the applicants to the top of the pile. Uh, you know, it, that was something that I think was helpful to us, but I think it also sometimes on the outside of it, looking in, you know, a lot of money came through uh, many different organizations from us and the USBG and Southern Smoke and this wonderful organization in Atlanta called the Giving Kitchen and then Mm -hmm. Core Children of Restaurant Employees. Mm -hmm. You know, I think there was a lot of really generous donations that were coming out and primarily from what I saw from the liquor business. Yeah. Uh, There's a lot of different organizations that service the restaurant and the hospitality industry, but from what I saw, the majority of the generous, amazing giving was coming directly from the liquor business. Um, and I mean, not just spirits, but I saw it a lot with beer and wine as well. Yeah. And, you know, so kudos to everybody, you know, to, to that section of society, like understanding that they needed to step up because we were not as protected as say the airline industry or um, any of the other industries that you mentioned at the mm-hmm. top of the podcast. But you know, I think it is sometimes hard to to sit back and say like, well, I know that all these millions of dollars have been given out, but I haven't seen where it's gone yet. I would just say, just trust that it's, I think a lot of people are operating in the same way that we are, where we're just trying mm-hmm. to get the most critical people to uh, be able to stay afloat, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was, um, I, I can just tell you from working with the USBG that their system is very similar, you know, just making sure mm-hmm. that the most vulnerable receive um, some sort of relief, which is not easy, you know? And also not the USBG is far more established than we are. And so the USBG was given a lot more money than we were. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I think it was something like, I don't want to misquote, but so this is just a, my, my recollection is that it was the last time I had checked and it was somewhere around like $9 million. And that sounds like great, right? Like $9 million and then they can just give it away. But there's a lot of work that goes into there is. figuring out the infrastructure of how to manage $9 million, you know, and I, they hired a few people to work full-time, but just knowing, I think for not full-time forever, but just during that period of time, mm-hmm. because you really need the help. I mean, we got fortunate that um, we could reach out to, we've got sort of a sister organization in Canada called the Bartenders Benevolent Fund. And the one of the the people who runs that fellow named Johnny Gray is a very good friend of mine. Um, he was an Altos ambassador from Toronto when I was the Altos ambassador from LA, and so we'd travel together a lot. And he, they were starting up just maybe about a year or so behind where we were on a a, a similar journey. 
um, with similar sort of uh, mission statement in mind. And so we've been able to call them up and be like, okay, we discovered this one thing that will connect your account directly to your QuickBooks. And then you can just put the names in and it'll cut the checks. And then here's a way to handle the grocery program. And because our grocery program is great that we're offering right now, I do want to just promote that really quick that we have, if you're out of work and you're in the hospitality industry, you can um, apply once a month, it's 50 bucks and you can choose where you want the money to come from. So I think the there's options like Target, Safeway, um, Walmart, uh, Ralph's, you, you know, just there's various options in there. Um, and it's just, uh, you can do it every single month if you, if you need to. So, uh, but we do have that grocery program and it's, you know, it's a lot because we're giving it out in $50 increments. So there's a lot to manage there. And, you know, there's a lot to sort of make sure is going into the right place because if you, you know, if you're running a nonprofit, let's say you're a church and somebody gives you money, $1,500 for new chairs for, for the church and the IRS comes to your church and you don't have new chairs, but the $1,500 is gone, you know, you can get in big trouble for that. So, you know, when there's designated funds, the designated funds have to go to where they're designated. And so um, there is just, it's a lot of behind the scenes work, nitty gritty, administrative accounting work that people don't necessarily see on the outside. So, I mean, I have nothing but mad respect and huge applause for what the USBG has been able to accomplish this year. We've, uh, you know, we've managed maybe a third of that money of what they've been given. And, um, you know, it's a huge responsibility. Um, and I, I love that they were able to also really affect some of the most critical, the critical people out there. Yeah, I, 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 well, yes, I mean, I definitely applaud the USBG um, as well. And I do applaud our industry on how, you know, it's amazing how these 501c3s, you know, like the USBG Foundation, another round, another rally, you mentioned core, um, are really ran by folks from the beverage industry. Yeah. You know, th- these are not CEOs, CFOs. This, this is just people doing the work being scrappy about it, you know, pulling up their bootstraps and just helping people (laughs) out. It's amazing to me. Yeah, it's true. If I, I, you know, if you look at our friends that know us without you, I mean, they're just a, a physical example. Like you can see the bootstrap work that they're doing there because they literally just what they have one mission and that is to get groceries to undocumented workers from our industry. And they have it down within, you know, I don't know exactly the inner workings of how they're doing it, but within, I think their donations that they get from various grocery suppliers and with the money that they've got, they've got it down to like $33 can feed, you know, somebody for a week or something Mm -hmm. like that, or maybe even a family for a week. I mean, they've really got it down of your donations where they're going to go. And then you just see them taking truckloads and truckloads of food and separating them out into bags. And just, that's what they do is they just go to people's homes and drop off groceries and you know, it's just really scrappy work mm-hmm. that just is. needs to get done. And know? it's and it's thankless work. Let's talk about that for a second. You know, um, what you're doing with USBG did with course, and you know, you don't do this type of work to pat yourself on the back because it is exhausting because you're giving so much of yourself, and especially for you, Amanda. Um, you know, this is your baby. And from what I understand, this will now be your full-time gig. Is that right? Yes, that's right. Yeah. uh, My last day at Beam Centauri is going to be a week from tomorrow. So the 19th is my last day there. And um, I'm going to go join Travis to be, you know, two full-time workers at another round. And um, we're 
obviously going to continue with emergency funding. I think we're going to be licking our wounds from this last year for a while. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we'll definitely be still out there trying to do a lot of that, but we're also going to start raising funds towards professional development. Um, And that could be to help management. It could be to help, you know, lift people up into some of those higher paying positions. It could be to help Mm -hmm. restaurants get back online. Um, There's a number of ways that we're sort of looking at where, where we could be the most effective and the most of service to the industry right now. That's amazing. What um, if one of our listeners wants to go through the application um, process, what can they expect? It's super easy. Um, uh, One thing I'd like to just say from the beginning is that we do not take social security numbers in our application process. So, you know, uh, we still obviously take applications both in Spanish and English. We would like to get to the point where we're offering six to 10 different languages Uh, But we just are not infrastructurally there yet. But right now we do have everything in both English and in Spanish. And they can just go to our website and there's um, apply for an apply for aid page. And that will take you to the campaigns that we have that are open for um, aid right now. And then if you wanted to donate, you could also go there and just go click to the donate page. And there are a number of campaigns there that you can donate to as well. Um, And if you're listening to this and you have applied for the Black Mental Health uh, Aid, check your email box. That's where we are communicating and we have sent emails out to a number of people who have been accepted and we are working with a company called BetterHelp to, you know, supply that sort of mental health aid that you might need um, at your convenience. It's really a very Mm. convenient way to access a therapist and to access help. So, um, you know, it's in your email box. If you, if you have listened and you've applied for it, check your email box uh, and make sure that uh, it didn't go into any sort of spam or anything like that. Because like I said, we have sent a lot of those out and we haven't had everybody. It doesn't seem like received them yet. Okay. That's good to know. Um, What's next for another round, another rally? Well, we have, um, we decided that we're going to bring deuces back and we're going to do it virtually this year. And we are going to use it as a little bit of a fundraiser, but sort of in the way that if you, I don't know if anyone watched the Golden Globes, but if you saw that they sort of had like a kind of a pop-up, like throughout the show where you could donate to Mm -hmm. their charity of choice. We're going to do something like that where, you know, if you want to, you'll be have access to donating, but really it's going to be free, an unticketed event for everybody in the industry. And it's just meant to be a way to celebrate, celebrate our tenacity and our perseverance and our creativity and our goodwill and everything that, uh, you know, we've had to reach deep into our souls for in the last year. We have Meatball coming back. She's going to be hosting from a gay bar in downtown L.A., And she is super fun. She's going to open with a number. And then when the judges are sort of collaborating on uh, scoring and tallying and stuff, she's going to have another number there. And then we'll have her kind of intertwined throughout. We're hoping to pull together 10 teams, teams of two from different bars and different parts of the country. So we're hoping to have 20 bars and 20 places in the country represented in this thing. Um, It should be hilarious and fun. We have Pam Wisnitzer is going to be working behind the scenes to help bring the teams together. We're going to allow them to pre-record their synchronized bartending, but the, the judging piece where they're interacting with the judges will be live. Uh, But the performances should be 
really next level, fun, hilarious, <laughs> uh, just a really, really great night. And then for the winners, um, we haven't exactly settled on a number yet, but what we're looking at is we're trying to, we're, we're hoping to give the winner, the winning team $5,000 to be split wow. amongst, amongst the staff of their two bars. So yeah, so we'll just be taking the names of their staff and sending checks directly to them. So it should be a really super fun night. Um, and it's, we're looking at the 23rd of May. So we'll post a little bit more about that and we'll definitely have information about it available on our website, our Instagram and our, um, Facebook pages. So, you know, keep an eye out for it, but I would just say I'm looking forward to it. I hope you guys are looking forward to it too. It's just really meant to be a night where we can all get together and have fun and see each other and laugh and, um, just remember that, uh, you know, we are, we're the fun makers. We're the people who figured out how to have fun for a living. <laughs> so, so true. You know, um, so it should be a night of just, just celebrating just our, our industry. I think that's uh, just what we need really right now. And I love that you have a nice, you know, charitable component to the fun. It's going to be great. It's going to really be great. And then that's the other thing that we're looking to do is, you know, we're starting to turn towards a little bit of professional development. Like I said, we have right now six young ladies in Arizona who we're putting through the um, CSS training um, and that we've did a little bit of a professional development grant work with them in the, in the fall with um, a, the, a couple there called the Ashers and their bar is called Century Grand. And they ran a program where they had all these female bartenders uh, come up with a cocktail for their cocktails to go. And then a hundred percent of the proceeds they put into this fund for professional development for these ladies. Wow. So, yeah. So we've been doing some good grant work with them. And then we also now have them all, you know, going through the CSS together. Um, and that's just a small version of some of the bigger things that we would like to, to start doing in our programming over the next year. Yeah. That's, that's pretty amazing. I love to hear that story. So they created a cocktail and then all the funds just went right back to the development of these. That's amazing. Yeah. And you know, this is really Kaylee Asher's baby for people who know her in Phoenix. She also, she not only did that, she also paired them up with some really great names in the industry to mm. be mentors to them. So she had like Charlotte Voicy and Lynn House and Jenna Murray and, you know, um, Aaron Hayes. She had just mm -hmm. had like a bunch of really great women who were, I think it was like a really quick, you know, maybe like two month long commitment with these girls, mm -hmm. but it was like a quick mentorship moment for them. So really kudos to Kaylee for coming up with that. And when she called us and she said, you know, could we do this with you guys? We were like, uh, not yes, but yes, definitely. <laughs> yes. Cause it just falls right in line with what, with what we're doing there. So, and we had another gentleman named Jared Kramer come to us and say, I've got this idea. I want to do, you know, I've got connections at the CSS, like, could we pull together some people? And I said, you know, well, what about these girls? Um, we've got these, this very talented group of young ladies and, um, you know, this could be a perfect place for us to kind of test this out as a little pilot. So really between Jared Kramer and Kaylee Asher, we were able to get that program up and running. So it's, it's cool. It's a very, very cool uh, little thing that we've been able to do this year. So um, where, where do you see another round, another rally five years from now? Hopefully, I mean, you know, Travis and I had these big dreams that we would eventually be um, taking people on these huge scholarship journeys. So, I mean, for example, if you if it was to study rum, 
it wouldn't necessarily be just like going to the islands to study rum, right? It would be like, we might start in like a plantation site in South Carolina and then go to East Africa to see where the slave trade started and where the rum trade started and then make your way to the islands and to really study truly the history of rum and how it is so deeply intertwined with the slave trade. Mm-hmm. And then once you get to the islands, really study not just distillation, but the music, the art, the food, the culture of the place that it is coming from and could do several islands. So we're talking about, you know, I don't know, $10,000 per person or something like that for, for a trip like that. So that's like our pie in the sky dream yeah. scholarship, you know, programming that we would like to do. But in the meantime, you know, I think a lot of that t- type of dreaming and uh, stuff, you know, it's great to still have it, but I, it needs to go a little bit on the back burner. And I think that that's going to be the case probably for the next five years where we're really focused more on a local level of trying to help management, you know, people who are in hiring power, who want to be more equitable in their hiring practices, Mm. like where, how do we offer, you know, classes or seminars or any sort of handholding that we can do during with that. Um, We're, you know, putting in some seminars right now for Tales of the Cocktail. It's interesting that you mentioned that our industry is not united because uh, one of the things that we are hoping to submit is a seminar about what it might mean to unionize, you know, mm-hmm. and what okay. that what that could look like. And we're lucky because one of our board members is very high up in the unions here. And so mm. she is somebody who is able to speak very clearly on it and has all sorts of other connections within the union as well uh, in terms of restaurant and hotel employee management and, and unionization and stuff. So, you know, we're, we're kind of looking into seeing how we can what we can offer to help mm-hmm. really, really lift up the business. The other thing we'd like to do is we've always wanted to do this. So I'm hoping that we can start this within this year is I know I had mentioned um, a little focus on transgender people, but mm-hmm. we'd like to get with the transgender centers both here in Arizona, which is where he's based um, and uh, offer like, you know, like five or six week long courses on, what you need to really be very, very hireable within the hospitality industry, Mm -hmm. depending on which path you think you'd like to go. Obviously, you know, being a chef and going to culinary school is a little bit different than what we would be offering, but, you know, we'd like to offer people a clear path and then offer some sort of placement, some type of job placement, you know, so those are kinds of the bits of programming that we'd like to get to. And then maybe at some point we'll do our big pie in the sky journey. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to study rum <laughs> sounds amazing to me I, I want to I want to go <laughs> right doesn't like, it sound totally amazing yeah. well and Travis we came up with that idea because Travis had been to see resistance served a couple of years ago mm-hmm. and um, Ashton Berry's organization that she does down there in New Orleans and there were some women who he took a class at a plantation uh, from some women who were discussing the history of the slave trade and how deeply intertwined it is with rum and his eyes were wide open from it. And the last, you know, well, I guess he had worked in tequila, but before that, one of his like um, kind of ambassadorial roles he had was with a rum from Puerto Rico. And there was so much of that that he just didn't know, you know, even though he had worked specifically with rum for a while. Um, And so he just was like, this would, it would be, if we were going to do this type of study, I would rather go so far in depth, you know, that we can actually really bring people back in a way that Mm -hmm. is responsible. So, you know, I think it's kind of like a history cultural 
tour. Yeah. <laughs> basically. So those that's what we're hoping to do eventually. But, uh, you know, hope, uh, in the next five years, what we'd really like to do is just be as useful and as of service as we can as people are trying to come back online. Well, Amanda, I just want to thank you so much for being on Served Up today. I could talk to you for hours. I don't. My pleasure. I could. I hope you come back. I I really hope that you come back. I mean, we didn't even get into all the tipping stuff. (laughs) We need to get into. And and I do hope that our industry, you know, I mean, hope to God that we don't go through something like COVID ever again. But I do hope that we. I hope. I do hope that we have learned to be more united. And when I say that, I don't mean that our community is not because we are. like a big happy family you know that dysfunctional sometimes as well (laughs) (laughs) talking about the business side of things yes you know the business side of things i mean we're not we're not part of something bigger than ourselves when it comes to all of our businesses we are definitely in silos where if you look at the airlines you look at the banking industry you look at healthcare. Yep. It's very structured, very it's differently. very different. It's I mean, I think, you know, to your point, like we finally are getting some restaurant relief, right? Yes. In this like yes. last bill. We're finally mm-hmm. getting it. And there are some very brave soldiers who were on the front line of that battle mm-hmm. who really made that happen. Yes. Um, a lot of women in our industry were some of those mm-hmm. brave soldiers who were really, really making that happen. And so you know, we all owe, um, you know, a debt of gratitude to all of the people who worked so hard to make that happen. But, you know, the airline industry didn't have to work that hard. You know, nope, they <laughs> the sure cruise did ship not. industry didn't have to work that hard. You Got know, it. like, I, you know, I agree with you. I feel like there's a way that we can unite even further mm-hmm. um, and not just with sweaty hugs in New Orleans every summer, but like real true uniting where if something like this happens, you're not all, we're not all dependent on the big restaurant owners in the capital cities that have connections and can help lobby in in all of our name you know that we can um that we actually are a united force uh so you know again i who knows if we'll see that really truly come to fruition in our lifetime but i think we've got a great opportunity here to really put one foot in front of you know just grab those bootstraps I know for a lot of last year, it felt like you were reaching around for your bootstraps and you just nothing there to find, but we're getting to a point where hopefully everybody's starting to get a handle on theirs and we can pull them up and we can uh, just start moving forward in a way that makes sense so that we don't, we don't get destroyed like this again. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you a hundred thousand percent. I am so happy you came down served up today. I Thank hope you so much for back. having me. I would love to, I would love to come back. I know Travis would be happy to oh, join us too one yes. time. Travis, so, you're invited. Yeah. Come on back. I'd love to have you both and see, see, um, you know, where you're at and what new things that you're up to. You know, we'd like to check in with you every now and again, but I, I want to thank you for all that you do for the hospitality industry. Um, you're doing just some beautiful work that that is needed. And I believe, you know, you're just being very bold. You're so bold and so brave um, because the work that you're doing is thankless and it's not easy and it's hard. And you're, you're hearing the stories from the people that, that really truly need the help that can be so heartbreaking. And just, just thank you. Oh, thank you thank so, you so much. much. Thank you for having me on today. I just, I really appreciate it. And I'd love to have just like some regular check-ins and, um, you know, like I said, everybody check out deuces. It's going to be a blast. And, um, if you'd like to give, check out our donation page, 
the one thing we could that would be helpful to us is to have monthly donors, even if it was just ten dollars a month. Um, and there's an option on the donation page there. But also, if you need to apply, come on over. Uh, that we have a number of things there. Especially, come and get these groceries. <laughs> <laughs> Go get your groceries. <laughs> Thank you, Amanda. This was just terrific. Thanks, Bridget. I appreciate Thank it. You. Another round, another rally.org is our website. I should have said that probably a while ago, but that's our, and it's all spelled <laughs> out. Somebody has ARAR.org and they want like $6,000 from us for okay, it. So give me a we're break. like, yeah, we're like, nope, we'd rather give out, you know, 12 grants than, than pay you that. So spell Absolutely. it all out. Another round, another rally.org. Well, thank you, Amanda. I wish right, you, thanks, Bridget. Just, I wish you great peace and great health. So thank Likewise. you for joining the show. Cheers. Likewise. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks for listening. Served Up is brought to you by Southern Glazers Wine and Spirits. Produced by Zunu.online. Music by We Kill the Lion can be found on Spotify. Make sure to subscribe to be notified of future Served Up episodes. Cheers.